Matthew chapter 27, beginning at verse 1, says this. When morning came, all the chief priests and elders of the people plotted against Jesus to put him to death. And when they had bound him, they led him away and delivered him to Pontius Pilate, the governor. It was a very early, very fearful, very fatal Friday morning in the city of Jerusalem. The likes of which has never been seen before and never would be seen again anywhere else on earth. Je- <clears throat> Excuse me, Jesus Christ, the Word that became flesh and dwelt among us, who left the glories of heaven. In the ensuing verses, he's led out. He's taken for Pilate, the governor. Pilate tries to make several attempts to set him free. The people, stirred up by the religious leadership of the day, would not let that happen. Finally, the people... Say down in verse 25, his blood be on us and on our children. In other words, we'll take responsibility for killing Christ. In verse 26, then he, that is Pilate, released Barabbas to them. When he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole garrison around him. Please keep in mind, this is after he had been scourged, after he had been ripped open with a scourge and was covered with blood. They took him in and they stripped him and they put a scarlet robe on him. Sometimes you wonder about how people can be so cruel, don't you? Here's a guy that is beaten within an inch of his life, opened up in his back, probably to the bones in his ribs. They can continue to do this. Sometimes human beings can be so unbelievably awful, cruel, wicked. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. When they had twisted a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and a reed in his right hand. They bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! They spat on him, took the reed and struck him on the head. It's not like a reed, as I've said before, that grows in the grasses there beside the river, but reed meaning like a short club. And they beat those, what some believe to be two, two and a half inch thorns into his head. You ever had anybody spit on you? They spat on him. And when they had mocked him, they took the robe off him. Keep in mind again that his back was quite literally ripped open and to just rip that robe off of him must have caused incredible pain you know some of us have a little problem when a gauze bandage maybe over a wound is is ripped off unceremoniously and to just rip this robe off of him after they had beat it into his back as it were they had mocked him they took the robe off put his own clothes on him and led him away to be crucified keep in mind 
that all of this happened early in the morning. All of this happened plus the walk to Golgotha that morning prior to 9 a.m. according to Mark chapter 15 and verse 25. We continue reading in Matthew 27 and verse 32 where it says, Now as they came out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. Him they compelled to bear Jesus' cross. Jesus at this point is so weak and he's lost so much blood that he can't even carry his own cross as condemned criminals did. And so they had to impress into service this man and force him to carry Jesus' cross because Jesus just couldn't get up anymore with his cross on his back. When they had come to a place called Golgotha, that is to say, place of the skull, they gave him sour wine mingled with gall to drink, but when he had tasted it, he would not drink. Then they crucified him. They divided his garments, casting lots, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet. They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Sitting down, they kept watch over him there, and they put over his head the accusation written against him, This is Jesus, King of the Jews. What they did there was a fulfillment of Scripture. Of course, they didn't realize that, or they wouldn't have done it, but God knew this was going to happen. Jesus knew all things that were going to happen to him. John 18, 1-4. God had known about it way back when the book of Isaiah was written, 700 years prior to that. This is a fulfillment and a quote of Isaiah 53, 8-12. I'm sorry, not a quote, but the Isaiah 53, 8-12 talks about how he's going to do this very thing and die this very way. Now, there's a term here I want us to kind of take a minute and look at. As we look at verse 38 it says then two robbers were crucified with him one on the right and another on the left I want us to consider some terminology here in the original language because I think it's important in the New King James Version that I just read in verse 38 it doesn't call them thieves it calls them robbers robbers as opposed to thieves you know we often talk about the thief on the cross but scripture says he was a robber and you may say well what's the difference well there is a little bit of a difference in the original language the robber was bolder the actual Greek word used here for the two robbers according to vines Greek dictionary means a brigand, one who plunders openly and by violence. It comes from the Greek word root for booty. When you think of booty, you think of a pirate, right? So, this word for robbers is one who plunders openly and by violence. The word comes from a word we associate with pirate. And that's kind of what the robbers were. In other words, they weren't just thieves that snuck in somewhere at night under cover of darkness to steal so their families could eat. When we think of a thief, we might think of somebody furtive and, and somebody that you know operates kind of sneaky and under the cover of darkness. And maybe they're not as bold and brazen. These were robbers. These were bold brazen types plunderers 
who plundered openly and by violence. A thief might steal something, but they're not usually ready to, you know, kill for it and, and be violent. So there's a difference between robbers and thieves, and I, I think that should enter into our mind as we talk about them later on. These were hardened men. Just this one more thought here, where robbers are more bold and, and rob openly and by violence. Thieves are sneaky. The word thief is used to false teachers in John 10 and verse 8, the Greek word for thief. False teachers are sneaky. So you see kind of the difference here between a robber and a thief in the original language. These were hardened men. They were used to taking whatever they wanted by force and without fear, according to this word. Again, not somebody who'd sneak in undercover and steal for their families. Verse 39 continues. And those who passed by blasphemed him, wagging their heads and saying, You who destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. If you're the Son of God, come down from the cross. How tempting that must have been to say, Okay. Wouldn't you have been tempted to say that? If that's you, and you've taken this beating, and you know that you didn't deserve it, and you know you could do something about it, well, come on down from there if you can. I'm t okay, boys, let me show you. But if he'd done that, you and I wouldn't have a Savior. You and I wouldn't have a hope. Jesus stayed on that cross for your sins and my sins. What an incredible God we have. Likewise, verse 41, the chief priests also mocking with the scribes and elders said, He saved others. He can't save himself. If he's the king of Israel, let him come down from the cross now and we'll believe him. Well, what about all of the dead people he raised? What about Malchus's ear that he put back on? What about the lepers and the deaf and the blind and all of those demon-possessed people he healed? That's not enough for him? No, they had an agenda. He trusted in God, let him deliver him now if he'll have him, for he said, I'm the son of God. Even the robbers who were crucified with him reviled him. With the same thing. Of course, that brings us to the one that we commonly call the thief on the cross. The one that we see here in Matthew's account that both of them initially reviled him. The crowd was doing it, the soldiers were doing it, they, they were doing it. And we often talk about the thief on the cross. You know, the thief. The one thief that later turned. The one thief that the Baptists want to point to and other, other denominations want to point to and say, well, he wasn't baptized. Well, he didn't have to be baptized. The thief that turned didn't have to be baptized to be saved because he lived and died under the Old Covenant. Hebrews chapter 9, verses 15, 16, and 17. The thief on the cross didn't have to be baptized. He died before the New Covenant came into effect and the blood cleanses us through baptism when Peter opened the church on the day of Pentecost in Acts 2. So he didn't need to undergo baptism any more than David or Abraham or, or Adam and Eve because he lived and died under the Old Covenant. But my point this morning is not to focus on the thief on the cross. I want to do something that we seldom ever do. I want to focus on both not thieves, but robbers. 
The title of this morning's lesson is Two Robbers, Two Crosses, Two Different Perspectives and Destinations. And I want to do that by turning to Luke's account of this same thing. Luke chapter 23. Please turn there with me. Luke chapter 23, verse 26. Same story, different account, but there's some things here I want to bring out and apply. Luke 23, as we talk about both robbers, verse 26. Now as they led him away, they laid hold of a certain man, Simon of... Simon a Cyrenian, who was coming from the country, and on him they laid the cross, that he might bear it after Jesus. And a great multitude of the people followed him, and women who also mourned and lamented him. Now this is something Matthew didn't tell us, but Luke includes this. Remember what Jesus has been through. Can't even carry his own cross. Probably can barely stand. But Jesus, turning to them, said... I'm probably gasping. I'm not going to even try to imagine or imitate the way he said it. But I don't think he said, daughters of Jerusalem. I, he, he was so beaten he could probably bloodied lips and had all he could do to spit this out. Maybe they couldn't even hear much of what he said. But he did say this. Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me. But weep for yourselves and for your children. For indeed the days are coming in which they will say, Blessed are the barren wombs that never bore and breasts which never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills cover us. For if they do these things in the greenwood, what will be done in the dry? Jesus' point is simply this, that the Jewish race was going to face incredible hardship. We know that when the temple was destroyed in 70 AD and the, the Romans surrounded the city of Jerusalem and they came in with a take no prisoners attitude that it was going to be a horrific, horrific time for the Jewish people. And Jesus is letting these women know what's coming. He said, don't weep for me, weep for you because you've rejected me basically. And it says this in verse 32, There were also two others, criminals, led with him to be put to death. This is important to this morning's lesson. What I want us to understand is this. Both robbers, both criminals, were there in the same procession, from where they had been incarcerated to Golgotha, these two criminals made that whole trip with that procession. So therefore, they probably saw the whole, everything that transpired, they probably saw Simon impressed into service to carry Jesus' cross. These three criminals are being led out together. They all, they all go through this, this same thing. They quite likely overheard what Jesus said to these women. Keep that in mind. This is important. You know, from what I've seen, Hollywood depictions, and I realize what those are worth, but from what I've seen, this is not the way men condemned to die would talk to women. This is not the kind language and the compassion with which a man who is about to be put to death would normally talk to a woman. 
that comes walking into the jail or is there at the execution chambers or anything like that. I can't say what most men are depicted as saying in those situations for obvious reasons. But these two criminals quite likely saw Jesus exchange with these women. Don't miss that. Verse 33. And when they had come, that is... All of them, including those two criminals, when they had come to the place called Calvary, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right hand and the other on the left. That same incredibly searing, mind-piercing, almost knock-you-unconscious pain as those spikes were driven in through the wrist, through the feet. Those two criminals underwent the same thing Jesus did. I wonder if they screamed. I think I would scream. I wonder if they cursed the Roman soldiers. If I'm being executed like that and I'm a I'm a robber I'm a brigand I'm used to you know just living by the sword as it were and I've got these guys that are driving spikes into my wrist I'm cursing them every step of the way I mean come on let's get real that's what people do did these two criminals fight did they try to fight their way out did they did they want to throw punches were they screaming were they crying were they were they what were they doing if they were just common ordinary men who didn't know God were they cursing But whatever they did or did not do, one was crucified on his right, one on his left. Whatever they did or did not do, I believe they were probably close enough to hear what he did. What did he do? Verse 34. Then Jesus said, Father... Probably is there driving the spikes. Forgive them, for they do not know what they do. And they divided his garments and cast lots. Verse 34 ought to make. We ought to be able to sit here and hear everybody's heartbreak. Verse 34 ought to send shivers up our spine. I wonder what it did to those two criminals, especially if they were crying out because they were facing the same pain. And the people stood looking on. But even the rulers with them sneered, saying, He saved others, let him save himself if he's the Christ, the chosen of God. The soldiers also mocked him, coming and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. Everybody is just heaping on him. An inscription also was written over him in letters of Greek, Latin, and Hebrew. This is the king of the Jews. We know the crowds didn't just look on. We know the crowds blasphemed and mocked him. We saw that in Matthew's account. We know the religious leaders that would not humble themselves and accept his authority 
would not accept his teachings, we see in the scripture they mocked him too. We know the vast majority of the soldiers, all of them we've seen to this point, just putting in another day's work, maybe hoping that they'll be lucky enough to be the one who wins their little game of chance to get his clothing as they go through another work day. We know they mocked him. Even the ones with literal blood on their hands from holding the spike or the hammer as it spurted as they drove the spike. And we know from Matthew and Mark's gospel that both of these robbers did the same thing at first. But then one of the criminals had a change of heart. Look in verse 39. Then one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him, saying, If you're the Christ, save yourself and us! But the other, answering, rebuked him, saying, Do you not even fear God, seeing you are under the same kind? You're going to meet God in a matter of hours. Don't you at least have some reverence and respect? And we, we indeed justly, this, this second criminal says, we're getting what we deserve. For we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me. In paradise. I would assume, and you can or not, but I think we kind of have to assume that this criminal, this robber, this hardened pirate, if you will, knew something about Jesus prior to this simply because he said, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. But whether he did or not, that doesn't change the fact that in the beginning, this second criminal was right there with the crowd and the soldiers and the other criminal and everybody else mocking Jesus, blaspheming Jesus. And so we got to ask ourselves, what did he, what led to his change of heart? I mean, he's had a change of heart. The other two gospels say both criminals, this one later on, apparently one change. What led to that change? That's the question. I'm going to answer it, and I want you to begin by thinking about what he had seen and experienced maybe that very morning. I want you to consider in your own hearts the following. All three of these men, Jesus and these two criminals, are incarcerated or imprisoned or whatever you want to call it in the same little place where Rome kept their, soul, kept their prisoners for crucifixion. I have to believe that the beating that Jesus took at the hands of those soldiers was not a secret in the prison. Think about it. If something happened in this, room, in this church building, if some of us were down in the fellowship hall, a few were in the classrooms, and something big happened in this church building, somebody passed out and we had to have the, the uh, uh, ambulance come, pretty much everybody in the building, that news would travel fast, wouldn't it? I mean, something like that doesn't escape everybody's attention. I have to believe that the beating took, that Jesus took at the hands of the soldiers was not probably a secret in that prison, nor was his scourging. 
Maybe these soldiers heard the cries or heard the laughter of the soldiers or the mocking. And, and maybe if they didn't even hear any of that stuff, these soldiers would be talking about that all throughout this morning. Even the ones that went after those two criminals would be talking about this guy they had beaten within an inch of his life. Certainly, number two, the release of Barabbas would come as no secret to these prisoners either. They'd know that a prisoner was gone. It's been suggested by some commentators that perhaps these two robbers were part of the insurrectionist group of Barabbas, that he was kind of like the leader and they were followers of his. I don't know if he was or not, neither does anybody else. But the fact is, we have to assume that they would know that Barabbas had been released, probably. It's at least likely. On top of the unfairness of those two things, number three, most everybody in those days seemed to know the Pharisees and the scribes' hypocrisy and jealousy and how they'd take whatever measures were necessary to frame somebody. That wasn't anything new. What else had these two robbers seen that morning? Well... As I told you earlier, it's important to remember that they shared that whole procession up through from the prison to Golgotha. They were part of that. And as I said, they most likely saw the beaten and bloodied and bled out Jesus fall beneath his cross. And he was so beaten up that these hardened Roman soldiers even knew that he was so close to death. He was so beaten, that they had to find somebody else because no matter how much they urged him, he just couldn't get up under that cross. Those other two, right in close proximity, there's no way they could have missed that. We have to believe that those robbers were also close enough in that little procession. They heard Jesus exchange with the women in Jerusalem, daughters of Jerusalem, that they saw him, or he was right there close to them. I mean, they weren't going to drive the spikes through Jesus' wrists a half a mile over that way and put them all there together. I mean, this happened in close proximity. So we have to understand that they very likely saw Jesus undergoing that same overwhelming and piercing pain they experienced when those spikes were driven right through their joints and then those crosses were picked up and they were dropped into those holes where they put them racked their whole bodies with pain, jarring every bone in their body. And, and we have to believe that they're, for, they're right on the right and the left, that they must have heard Jesus cry, Father, please forgive them. They know not what they do. And then they had seen this man, this Jesus, who was perfectly innocent, who, whether it was the robbers the riotous crowds, the religious leaders, or the Roman soldiers all around him mocked and ridiculed him, and they saw Jesus not revile in return, not threaten, not curse, but prayed for his enemies. Just like he'd always taught. All the while entrusting himself and remaining fully and completely committed to his father's hands, plans, and commands. So here's the question. This is where, this is the bottom line of this lesson this morning. So, what did the penitent 
robber see that the other impenitent robber did not see that led to the penitent robber's change of heart. What did the one who changed his mind see that the other did not see? Quite likely nothing. And yet at the same time, everything. You see, sometimes something can happen right in front of you or right around you. And you can be so blinded by your own anger or pain or misery that you could stumble over it and still not see it. I think it could be said of the impenitent one, the one who continued to blaspheme, the one who did not change, I think it could very easily be said of him that seeing, he did not see, and hearing, he did not hear, nor understand. If I may paraphrase and apply Matthew chapter 13 verses 14 and 15 to the robber who did not change his mind, I would say this, And in him the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, Hearing you will hear and shall not understand, and seeing you will see and not perceive. For the heart of this robber has grown dull, his ears are hard of hearing, and his eyes he has closed, lest he should see with his eyes, hear with his ears, lest he should understand with his heart, and turn, and I take him to paradise too. Both robbers experienced the same procession. They saw and heard the same things that Jesus said and did. They were both there. They were both in close proximity, yet only one changed. One did not. Because seeing, he did not see. Hearing, he did not hear. He did not understand. With that being said, I'd like to take a moment... And I'd like to show how well these two robbers, in a nutshell, represent or illustrate two kinds of people in the world today, including right here in Cleveland. Let's begin with the similarities of these two robbers, representative of the two kinds of people in the world today and in Cleveland. Number one, both of these robbers... Both of these were robbers. They were lawbreakers. Both of them had been pronounced guilty. That can be said for everybody in this town that is of accountable age. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, right? Romans chapter 3, beginning at verse 10 and running all the way down through to verse 23. Just like both of these robbers, one of their similarities were they would both been judged guilty. The whole world is held guilty before God because nobody could keep the old law. Everybody has sinned. I don't care if you're sitting in this building this morning and you're of accountable age and you're a Christian. You still sinned. You still needed the blood of Christ. And everybody on the outside of these walls in the town of Cleveland that is of accountable age has sinned as well. We're all guilty. Just like these two robbers. Number two. These two robbers had in similarity the, folks, the fact that both of them 
became very quickly and intimately familiar with the teachings and sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Are we familiar with the crucifixion? Yes. Just because people aren't in church doesn't mean they haven't heard the story. In today's society, most everybody has got some idea of who Jesus is and the fact that he died on a cross. Even people that don't go to church, even people that don't believe it have heard about Jesus. We all kind of have that in common. The third thing that the two thieves had in common that are representative of the fact that all people do, including right here in Cleveland, both robbers initially followed the crowd and mocked and blasphemed. Initially, in the beginning. Today, There are a lot of people in this town that you talk to that don't have anything good to say about the Church of Christ. The very first day that Karen and I came here, when somebody talked to us about the moving truck that was parked out there and why we were here and all of that, and I said something about being the new preacher up at the Church of Christ, never forget, oh, that bunch. And if you talk to people in any town in America today where the Church of Christ has been active in trying to evangelize and reach lost souls, you're going to have people that are going to mock and ridicule the church. Oh, that's that bunch that thinks that they're the only ones going to heaven. Oh, that's that bunch that believes in water salvation. You're going to get that. Do you know why? I'll tell you why. Because they can't refute it. You see... Jesus was crucified not because of anything he did except stand on the truth. And they were so mad that they couldn't refute what he said. They tried, read Matthew 20 all the way up through to the crucifixion. They said, the scribes, then the Pharisees, and then the scribes, and then the Pharisees, and they tag team him. And they keep trying to take him down. They keep asking him questions. They keep trying to refute what he said. They hated what he said, but they couldn't refute what he said. They could not poke holes in one thing he said. Jesus used the scripture. He, he continually quoted the Old Testament. They could not, when we talk to people, and we use book, chapter, and verse, and they cannot refute it. Folks, the Bible says baptism now saves you. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 21, period. But people who don't want to believe that, even when you turn them there and it's black and white, even when you take them to Acts 2.38 and baptism and repentance is for the forgiveness of sins, but they don't want to believe it, but you take them there, if they can't attack the message, what are they going to do? Well, you're one of that bunch. They can't refute what the Bible says. So they go after the church. Guess what? Same thing they did to Jesus. They couldn't take down the message, so they took down the messenger. Both of these criminals originally blasphemed Jesus and all that he stood for. A lot of people today will blaspheme the Lord's church and us. Because they can't argue the black and white of what the Bible says that we simply sing to bring. But that's pretty much where the similarities end. I want to go now to the differences between these two robbers and how those are representative of people in the world. The two kinds, including right here in Cleveland. Please get this. 
Notice that the impenitent robber, the one who did not change his mind, only had eyes for and was only concerned with one thing, and that was getting out of his own immediate, self-inflicted, and painful physical circumstances. Luke 23 and verse 39. The robber who did not change, the one who did not go to paradise, the one who did not respond, the one who did not see Jesus had eyes for one thing and one thing only and it was his own self-inflicted painful place in life. If you're the Christ, save yourself and us. Get me out of this. How many people have you ever heard? God, get me out of this. You know, and then I'll just be this great person. God gets them out and they go back to being just what they were. He only had eyes for his own pain. You know, I think we see that all too often with people that come into the church today. And then leave. People will be struggling with alcohol. Or some disease or cancer or something. And they'll, they'll get this idea in the head. If I just start going to church, God will automatically just zap me and make everything fine and wonderful. And I'll, I won't be addicted anymore. And my cancer will disappear. And all i got to do is go and play, play nice with God. And all of this stuff will be taken care of. They only got eyes to their own pain. So they come and they learn and they're baptized. And... And, you know, three months down the road, when God hasn't automatically, immediately erased every problem in their life, they go looking for answers somewhere else. They only got eyes for their own problems. That was the thief that didn't change, and he didn't go to paradise. Sometimes people, I think, come to church when they're having marriage troubles, having trouble raising their kids, and they'll come in and they'll sit in the studies and they'll learn and they'll repent and they'll get baptized thinking, man, if I just do whatever it is God asked me to, that God's going to automatically fix this whole mess I've made. God, just get me out of this mess. They don't understand all that's involved with following Christ because their eyes are only, only on their own pain and problems. And so when God doesn't automatically just heal everything, just magically wave a wand and change everything for them in the first three months they're here, we don't ever see them again because they were only looking. That's this thief on the cross, robber on the cross, and, and how the impenitent one functioned. Get me out of here. That's all I want from you. Get me out of here. But the penitent robber, this is what we got to get. The penitent one, the one who changed, he was the one who, no matter how difficult it was to see through his own pain, and he was in a lot at the time, he, rather than choosing to focus on his own pain, chose to focus on the love and the grace and the holiness and the righteousness of Jesus Christ more than on his own immediate self-inflicted pain and impending death, Luke 23, 40-41. He was suffering too, but he took his eyes off his own struggle and he looked at the Lord for what he was and he looked at what he had seen Jesus do. And so he changed because he could take his eyes off his own painful circumstances to look at Jesus. With the impenitent robber, even in the very presence of Jesus, it was still all about himself to him. It was still all about him. Lord, come on down and take me with you. But with the penitent robber, 
He was willing to suffer the pain. He was willing to lose his life, to suffer whatever pain or loss or circumstances or whatever he had to go through in this life. He was bleeding too. His hands were spiked too. He was fighting for his breath too. But he took his eyes off all of that and he looked at the Lord and what the Lord had done and said and he, he looked at him. And he was willing to go through all of that just as long, just as long as he could be with the Lord in paradise forever. That's all he was looking at. What more could Jesus have done that morning to convince the other robber to come around? What more could he have done? He's praying for his enemies. He's talking to these daughters of Jerusalem. He's not cursing. He's not blaspheming. What more could Jesus Christ have done that morning in the presence of that other robber in that procession to convince the other guy to come around? What more could he have done? Nothing. Because if he could have, he would have. Because 2 Peter 3.9 says it is God's will that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And if there's anything else Jesus could have done that morning to turn the other one, he would have. But he did everything he could. But that man's eyes were only on his own pain. And not on being willing to go through whatever he had to to be with Jesus for all eternity. By extension, church... If we love and serve and welcome and sacrifice for those people and families who come into this church, what more can we possibly do when they decide to focus on themselves and their own immediate problems instead of on Jesus Christ and His complete sacrifice so that they can be with Him forever in paradise if they will simply commit themselves to Jesus, commit themselves to focusing on their faithful Creator, commit themselves to focusing on heaven instead of their own immediate circumstances. What else can we do when they choose to walk away because they're just focusing on themselves? What can we do? Nothing. Nothing. Is Jesus able to save their soul? Did Jesus give his life for them? Do we tell them about Jesus? We love them, we welcome them, and three months later they walk away. You can lead a sinner to the Savior, but you can't make them faithful. Two robbers, two crosses, Two different focuses, and therefore two different eternities. Two kinds of people, one looking at their own pain and problems exclusively, even in the presence of Jesus, and the other one willing to focus more on Jesus and be committed to Him than their own pain and problems. Which one are you? And do you know somebody who needs this message? This morning, if you're here and you've never been baptized into Christ,
Maybe, maybe your eyes need to be open to Jesus and what he can do for you. Maybe you need to really consider the Christ in your midst and what he went through for you. Maybe if you're not a child of God, you need to really do that. Because I'll tell you, there's no better life than being a Christian. Amen, church? You're still going to have problems. But like Jesus and like that second thief, we commit ourselves to following God and we focus more on paradise that's waiting rather than these momentary earthly problems we have. Because if we only focus on these momentary earthly problems we have, we're not promised paradise or anything else. This morning, if you would focus on Jesus, give your life to Him, be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, repent of your sins, turn from that life. Be willing to go through whatever you have to in order to spend eternity with God because Jesus Christ went through the cross so that you could be there with Him. If you would do that, or if you're a Christian who has been baptized into Christ, maybe there's something in your life that's gotten in your way, taking your focus off of that sacrifice. Maybe you're focusing more on your problems than on your problem solver. We'd love to pray for you, work with you, do anything we can. But I beg you this morning, don't be like the impenitent robber. Don't be so consumed with the problems in your life. That you don't see the Jesus who is begging and pleading with you to come to heaven. Focus on Him. This life is only momentary. And these problems, no matter how big they are, compared with eternity, it's just a vapor. If you come to Christ this morning, please come to the front while we stand and sing.